listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 449. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our journey with season one of the Fox series Fringe. And, you know, before you and I chat, just want to thank our patrons, Fred, Dan, Richard, Travis, Mark, Cindy, Tobias, and Mike. Uh, appreciate you guys, and and I appreciate everybody that listens and downloads each week. So, uh, sure. anyway, God, nice weather today, dude. Ready to get out and practice. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Old, uh, <clears throat> yeah, spring sports coaches, man. When you get a 60-degree day in February, you start to sniff the air a little bit. But I think it's going to be short-lived, yeah, though. it looks like it. Uh, yeah, March 1st around here is the first day for spring sports. And uh, it can be anywhere from 60 to 20. And, yeah. you know. <laughs> Well, I mean, the one year, I, I don't know if you were, I think you were still coaching then in uh, in 2010. I think it was in 2010. No, maybe it was 2003 when, like, we had a major blizzard, like, March 1st. And we missed, like, a week of school. And then we come back, and there's no place to practice anywhere for anyone. Well, I mean, you you do what we do. We tell the kids to bring their snow shovels and we shovel off the damn blacktop. Yeah, that's yeah. I think we had a, a parent, I believe, actually came in with a tractor and uh, for the lacrosse team and and cleared off the basketball court so the lacrosse team could run. I remember actually, I was out there with the JV guys. We were like running in the snow. I'm like, we got to do something. <laughs> yeah. Know? So, uh, well. We're in the parking lot, you know, like just cars oh, all yeah. around, like throwing the ball yep. around. Like, so, good yep, times. Yep. So, well, listen, I, I got a few items uh, on tip of the week, what we're watching. And, you know, you you and I you messaged back and forth about this. I just happened to think about Be Foreigners. And, geez, I wonder, you know, if there's any word on season two. So I go on there and look. It's like, what the hell? It dropped in Europe in early December. And late December in the U.S. on HBO Max, and like, how the hell did we miss this? So, of course, then the, totally the question it. becomes, will we cover season two? And, you know, that's to be determined. But, but it also led me to start thinking about other shows that we're waiting on. Ragnarok season three, which hasn't gotten an official renewal, even though the actor that plays Lawrence has tweeted out, I mean, he certainly is implying that that they've gotten the green light for season three, but outside of that, I haven't really heard anything. Season two of The Nevers, which was a great show. Season two of Foundation. I feel like, I, I, I mean, I never read them, but I keep seeing articles about season two of Foundation, but well, it, uh, it's probably just clickbait. It's been renewed. Now, Tribes of Europa, there's still no word on whether there's going to be a season two or not for that, which is probably not a good thing. Although you never know with, with the COVID world going on. And then that show 1899, which is uh, by the creators of Dark, Yante Frisia and Baron Bo Odar, which sounds like it could be up our wheelhouse in terms of sci-fi mystery supernatural whatever so uh no word on a release but that's probably not too far down the road but right because we saw the trailer for that yeah or, uh, some like advert advert for it a couple months ago, yeah and, and so. what do we say about watching trailers not not gonna do not, it not gonna do it but uh, we may have to do not it for that it. but uh no way no way uh, the show that my wife and i 
are currently hooked on and, and it's a show that that i kept seeing on hbo max and like nah i had no interest in that it looks like 21st century dallas or falcon crest and then every actor who i follow on twitter or whatever it's like oh yeah it's great and th- it's called succession oh yeah it's supposed to be really good and you know it it it, it really is good and i almost never gave it the chance and just real quickly you haven't seen it at all i guess i have okay not, so no. so basically it follows the this family who runs a media empire and uh brian oh crap brian cox is the patriarch and even though you never really see or hear any of their actual news shows you get the idea they're like fox so they're way right wing you know he calls the president whenever he's got a problem and he needs it fixed and he's got four children and you know they run the gamut from you know the the, the son that really should be the heir but he's got substance abuse problems you got the daughter that's a political consultant who really does seem to be the one that should take over but she doesn't want to Kieran Culkin, right. who who plays the uh, ah, love that the guy. other son, but then the 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 oldest son is played by I can't think of the actor's name, Alan R- Ruck. He w- yeah, he played Cameron in exactly Day Off, right, right? Yeah. and he is just kind of the comic. But he was like thirty years old, <laughs> right? So he's like the comic <laughs> relief. Well, he he's like he has a different mother than the other three. So, uh, you know, it really is pretty darn good. Uh, I must say three seasons and, uh, you know, we're, we're pretty invested in it at this point, but anyway, that's what I am watching. Well, um, yeah, you, you sent me a message that before your season two, we had completely and totally missed the launch of that. And, um, you know, go to HBO max and there it is season two waiting for me. And, uh, I've, I've watched the first two episodes of season two and it seems pretty awesome so far. You know, another mystery, of course, the, you know, the, the, the big mystery and the big bad from the previous season, we was never, you know, we never found out. And right now I don't know if they're working towards that or not, you know, um, but it's cool. I'm not going to talk about it a lot because I, I can, I, I foresee that maybe we'll actually end up, uh, Co- you know, covering talking it. about that in, in depth. Yeah, covering it. So, cool. Um, in, in addition to that, uh, watching the book of Boba Fett inspired me to go back and rewatch uh, Star Wars: The Clone Wars um, series, and this just so it's just so good. I mean, I know it's kind of made with kids in mind, but uh, just the animation is just striking. The storytelling is pretty good for the most part. There's some clunkers in there, but for the most part, just excellent. Very, very enjoyable. Um, I'm loving the rewatch, and and plus, it's almost like if you're if you're gonna watch any like Mandalorian now. Clone uh, Book of Boba Fett and the upcoming Ahsoka and Ben Kenobi. Uh, if, if you if you're gonna watch the if you you're planning on watching those shows, you you got to go back. You got to watch Clone Wars and Rebels. There's so much backstory there that they're going to be dealing with, and there's a lot of characters that were in Book of Boba Fett 
this year, like Cad Bane, we see come back. And, you know, there's just, you know, all, all these characters that, uh, um, from, from these, from, you know, Clone Wars and Rebels, you, you gotta watch them. You gotta watch them. You're not gonna know what's going on, or you won't fully appreciate Um, like, oh, with the Mandalorian, they brought back, uh, um, Bo Katan, um, the Darksaber, which still is playing a huge part in it. Like, um, there's just a lot of things that, that uh, this is kind of prerequisite for. So, um, if you if you're into Star Wars and you you think you're going to watch want to watch Obi Wan and you want to watch the Ahsoka series that are coming up, then you should really uh, get cracking on on watching Clone Wars and Rebels. Well, you know what really strikes me is that damn we we've been doing this a while because it doesn't seem like that long ago. I remember you talking about watching Clone Wars for the first time. And, right and well i don't think it was i think it was just a year ago was that okay but we do have <laughs> yeah i think it was during covid last okay year. but we do have our 10 year anniversary coming up this july so uh you know we'll, we'll be talking really? about the festivities for that in the coming months okay but uh yeah cool Two, 2012 that was when we started this little wow. podcast so uh that's crazy yeah yeah so all right you ready to talk some fringe absolutely all right especially this this episode oh my god episode 10 season one titled safe (laughs) written by david h goodman and jason cahill directed by michael zinberg aired december 2nd 2008 now per our conversation last week I, i did go and check on wikipedia and there was a six seven week break before resuming this the back half of this season one and when you think about it most shows did that as we approached the holiday season they would stop airing new episodes so that was pretty commonplace and whether you know they you know deliberately took the opportunity to have a season one a cliffhanger or not it doesn't matter they sure as hell gave us a pretty damn big cliffhanger (laughs) with uh i think so olivia at the end and and david robert jones you know, not in Germany any longer. No, very. He's gone from Germany to to Massachusetts in the blink of an eye. Yeah. But the other thing that was really interesting is that viewership went up dramatically after that six seven week break because they were bringing you know eight and a half million or so viewers for the first ten episodes, which was pretty darn good even back then. They were at twelve million when they came back, and they sustained it for the pretty much for the last half of season one so i found that very unusual i guess word of mouth and the buzz surrounding this new jj abrams show must have really um, you know gotten a lot of people to check the show out and i guess on the one hand that's not surprising yeah yeah you and again i didn't get in the i mean you got me in the fringe and probably it was at least season two maybe even season three that I, I got on board with it, you know. I, I was. I, I have no idea, like how how it caught. But I think what you're saying is, seems like a very valid idea. That just people during the break were like, "Holy!" Especially after this episode, people were like, "Oh my god, you've got to watch this show. It's unbelievable, you know, and everything." So cool. Well, you know, word of mouth. Yep, yep. Now we do 
kind of add a an antagonist to the mix we, we've always had nina sharp and we're n- never exactly sure where she's coming from although i i think we've always sensed that it was uh for her and, and the benefit of md but uh you know now i guess we have to add david robert jones to the mix and yeah whether or not they know of each other well i'm sure he knows of her whether she knows about him and what he's been able to do that remains an open question but i think it's safe to say they they are the two major antagonists at this point right well i think she's gonna know about him soon because i assume that uh you know in in short time they're gonna notice that uh there's a dead lawyer in the in the room and that the prisoner is totally gone right now you know we've got the one main story of course which is the you know the bank robberies but a bunch of little ones and and of course david robert jones in germany in his uh, prison cell and, and we get a sense all along that that you know something is afoot and he keeps meeting sure. the lawyer and, and and fred addresses that in his feedback because i'm sure all of us are like where do we know that guy from and and I, I actually know him from some historical drama as well as opposed to orphan black as fred points out we see that he's the conduit for getting messages back and forth from uh well as it turns out mitchell Loeb and, and david robert jones but yeah, then when he comes in that last time and, and Jones just snaps his neck, puts on his suit after, you know, making fun of that. I, and I guess the idea was that he knew that's what he was going to do all along. So if I'm going to escape, I want a nicely tailored suit. So, you know, he didn't get everything he asked for. He just checked with the lawyer to make sure they're kind of the same size, though. And, uh, you know, they're all good. Yep. Yep. And then, of course, when he meets Loeb, do you have her? And and we know he, of course, means Olivia. And, and then the little bit we see of Nina and, and Massive Dynamic, and, and we've talked the last couple of weeks about, uh, you know, whether or not John Scott is still alive. And I, I guess he, he has brain activity at this point. I, you know, I don't think we saw a respirator on him, if I recall. I don't think so. So how they're keeping him alive and i'm making air quotes here is you know unclear at this point but they're trying to grab info from john scott's brain and they finally put two and two together that the information they need from john is actually now in olivia's brain which doesn't bode well for her and and then of course Broyles confronts her and assumes that she's the one that abducted olivia I'm not sure how he made that leap, to be quite honest. I mean, does he really think that given how much everybody knows about what everybody's doing, that Nina would be that bold? And for what, as Nina says, why would I abduct her? You know, I mean, all I have to do is call her up and on some pretense that she'll probably come to my office and talk to me. So, yeah, I understand that. On the other hand, you know, Broyles is... uh, not going to leave any box unchecked in his search for his missing agent. So, so, so I, I figured out because I did that guy, the lawyer, was killing me. Uh, Paul Rains on Twenty Four, I think, is what I really know. Oh him wow! As um, he was Audrey's husband, and I believe not that this really makes him stand out, but I'm pretty sure he got tortured. Okay, I think he's pretty. I'm pretty sure he's the guy that Jack Bauer took apart a, a lamp 
in a hotel room, plugged the cord in the lamp, and used the exposed ends of the cords to electrocute the oh, guy. Oh, nice. All right. All right. I'm liking that. Um, I, I, I don't have it. I can't look up right now. He was also, I'm, I just pulled it up because it was just like once you mentioned it, I realized I had meant to look that up. He was in, uh, he was in Orphan Black. Well, yeah. And, and Fred well. points that out. Right. But, but yeah. there was some yeah. historical drama. So whether it was the uh, Tudors. The Tudors. There did we you see go. the Tudors? I did. Okay. He, he was Thomas Cromwell in the Tudors. There we go. And, and my wife and I rewatched that maybe about a year or two ago. So. All right, now that's a show I need to get into. I, oh, I, I watched it the first episode. And, yeah, it's it's yeah, you know. you, it's it's really good. Um, and, and then the last minor story, I just call it in my notes. Olivia gets personal, and you, you know we see her and Peter. I don't want to say having a moment or having moments, but but they're they're getting to know each other a little better. And I love that scene when she admits to his feigned surprise i guess that she doesn't have a best friend and i love it in college she was known as han you know and and just i mean how perfect and perfect that he oh like han solo like yeah okay so that that, nice yeah exactly and then when they're at the bar uh you know because they want to get information out of that bartender right away she orders a double shot of whiskey now we haven't really seen her in this situation uh i i hate to stereotype but i sort of half expected her to either order a beer or a glass of wine i wasn't quite ready for a double shot of whiskey which she knocks back uh, in a hurry and and asks for a refill she's not messing around she doesn't get to go out very often she's not gonna she's not playing around here right and and you know they're little um you know brother sister you know, whatever is they're trying to get information out of this guy pretending like they know uh, or knew Raul at the end, he's like, brother. And she's like, it works better that way. And like, okay, <laughs> explain that. <laughs> and well, I, I get it because she wants the guy to think she's available and accessible. Well, okay. Right? Okay. Like, good point. That exactly. Okay. But, uh, but, but yeah, but you know, obviously Peter is not, psyched about that because you're right we we're seeing the 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 buds of a relationship going on here yeah you, you can't you can't help but not see it right you're right so when she you know cast him as her brother you know peter's just uh, that's a role he really is not comfortable getting into right and, and and then even when she's got the information he kind of talks her into staying in the bar a little bit and and you know next thing you know he's doing card tricks and it turns out she can count cards and really just opening up to him. And, and I, I think the irony there about her counting cards is that's something that is so Peter Bishop that we can see him getting thrown out of Las Vegas casinos because he got caught doing that. So, right. you know, whereas we might not see her, you know, being quite that bold, but, you know, still. So, you know, I really like the fact that that we're we're getting to know another side of Olivia. You mentioned last week at the beginning of the episode when she's ready to go out and has to wipe off the lipstick because Broyles has, you know, ruined her weekend with a you know call to another incident. But anyway, anything else about any of those little side stories before we get into the bank robberies? 
Um, no, but you know, just like it, it, it is, you know, uh, it was a nice little scene in a episode that is crammed with action to take this little bit of a break and allow uh, Peter and Olivia to kind of sit down and start to get to know each other a little bit better. I mean, that was. It was good. It was it was it was a well done scene. I, I, I and I think it was it did not disrupt the the rhythm of the episode or anything. It kind of worked perfectly in there, and it was funny, right? It, we we got to laugh with them for a little bit. And the show that is not known for levity, uh, it was a moment of of levity and uh, and I'm going to call it cuteness. Okay, we'll call it yeah, that. and I think for a team that is certainly developing a certain level of closeness. There's still a lot of barriers that, that keep them all apart, you know, whether it's Walter and the way he treats Astrid or maybe even Astrid still feeling like she's still sort of the odd person out not really out, but, but, you know, she understands that she's at the right. bottom rung of the ladder and that's on. Well, they, you know, Peter and Olivia are leaving like, Oh, we're going to go out to the bar Hey, you can watch Walter, right? She's just like, right. Yeah. Now <laughs> she is the junior agent. They they do have that designation for her, but but as we've said, I, I think as the show goes on, we'll see that that she certainly earns her stripes and earns whatever promotions, official or otherwise, that that yeah, she no deserves. Doubt. So. No but we, we've got these bank robberies, and we see Mitchell Loeb and his team. And after last week, we know exactly how they're getting into this bank vault, and right. that—that's not even a question. So, I believe it was two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, okay. So, um, I, the question is: Okay, are they whatever device they have is it big enough that they, a man can walk through? And and okay. You know, okay, what's with that cable? And okay, I guess that's a little mini zip line that that they use to, you know, get that box out of the uh, safety deposit vault. But but it was a pretty pretty cool scene all along, even though we 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 know exactly what's going to happen. And uh, of course, the kicker is when the guy. I think we know what's going to happen. You know, we, we've uh, what is what was that carbonite in in Star Wars that uh, yeah Han Solo right. Yeah. So you know, we kind of know that something's going to happen worse than him getting trapped inside the vault. <laughs> right. Well, I, I, you know, sitting here trying to disengage the thing is like, dude, f that man. Like, get the hell. Like, what's worse? Right, that someone sees a a piece of rope stuck in the wall, or sees a person stuck in the wall. Yeah, right. And, and the only thing I can figure is, could there be something about that cable that would expose them? I mean, I can't imagine what it would be, but right. they they seem to be kind of fixated on. No, we can't leave the cable. It's like why? What di- like you said? What difference does it make? Yeah, get the hell out of there, man. So, so, you know, unless there's something that we're missing, all right, fine, as a narrative device, again, whatever. You know, I mean, it it gave Walter a chance to go to the hardware store with his son and, and <laughs> buy a saw. <laughs> again, as yeah. Fred, I think Fred points that out in his feedback, just a, just a wonderful scene, for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That, that uh, yeah. we'll get to. You know, we're talking a, a few minutes about 
Olivia getting more personal with Peter, you know, what do you think about the, I guess the interplay that Peter's having with Walter over his childhood and kind of the way he's lived his life to this point, because I think it's pretty important. You know, I'm trying to think how to, how to put this in a non-spoiler fashion, but um, but yeah, I, we we get that their relationship is still evolving, and it has been since the first episode, and part of that is them kind of addressing certain things. Like Pierre's like, well. I know you're disappointed in me, and and Walter's just saying no. But I just you, I think you're brilliant, and I just think you could do better. You know, so it's it's again a, a pretty nice character development type scene here, and that is again doesn't take up a lot of time because there is a lot of action going forward. There's a lot of stuff happening in this episode, but these moments when they take to just grab a second give the audience a chance to breathe and let and, and see some character development going on there uh, you know quickly before they get back to the the action and everything i thought it was pretty nicely done yeah and i don't know that we really ever expected to see walter and peter bishop father and son shopping in a hardware store together because that's kind of the quintessential father-son experience that that you know those of us that are males yeah i mean we we remember going with dad to buy whatever and of course here he's buying a saw and the clerk uh, are you using it to cut wood uh no human flesh (laughs) and then (laughs) she walks away and peter's like no need to call the police (laughs) which i just (laughs) thought was yeah classic and and I like the fact that they just leave it there. I don't know about you, but if I'm that clerk, I'm probably going to go to my manager at the very least. And yeah, of course, Peter's got his FBI credentials, so he could just flash sure. that. But, but still, it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, just a little quick scene that, you know, gives you again, was able to, you know, to see some of the relationship here. And yeah, I mean, it is. It's kind of a you know prototypical male bonding experience going with your your dad to the hardware store and everything. So, right. and then when they're back at the lab and Walter saws off the guy's arm, nice catch, son. <laughs> Again, just kind of that allusion to father and son playing catch, but instead yeah. of with uh, yeah. a baseball and mitts, it's a severed Technically, arm. Technically, a- still playing catch. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and and again, we we know what Walter's going to do here. He's examine the tissue, and again, we've talked about this before. They do speed the plot and the recognition up because they do only have forty. I guess Fringe was forty six, forty eight minutes. I think uh, a little it's bit. A little longer, longer I think. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, it was it was great when he used the electric football game, really a, as a instructive tool and you know it makes perfect sense and and i was sitting there thinking as i was watching it that well yeah okay i mean that makes perfect sense i mean i i knew about you know that from you know related to physics and then i was thinking afterwards now 
did I think that because I remembered the fringe episode or did I, you know, (laughs) learn that from some other sci-fi show? Because I certainly didn't learn it in school anywhere. That's for sure. But, but it, it really did explain what it is Mitchell Loeb is doing, you know, to, to, you know, get through just of course at a a much more sophisticated uh, level, but, the the one weird scene, uh, the one weird scene. We got a lot yeah, of them in this because it was just the one, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. When when Olivia goes to talk to the wife of, oh uh, yeah, I mean that was just weird from the get go. Right, right, um, right. Well, because you know, like we didn't, like we're not thinking that, right? Like I wasn't. I saw the thing before, you know, but you know. Because she sees this guy, Raul, she's like, oh, I know him. We were in the Marines together. And we know that Olivia was in the Marines, so right, exactly. we don't question it, right? Um, and then she she goes there, and she starts describing everything, and the, the lady's like, you're right, but you weren't here. you know. And then finally, like, I think I probably caught on just slightly before the big reveal is that, oh, John Scott was here. Like she, her memory is John Scott's memory. Yeah. And and while it's frightening on the one hand, certainly for Olivia, it is instructive. And, and that was last week, I think in Fred's feedback where he, where he talked about, you know, the, the conflict that Olivia must have in that she wants this out of her head. But on the other hand, they have been very helpful solving these crimes each week. But my first reaction when that woman is acting like she doesn't know Olivia, I'm thinking like, okay, is this woman thinking like, oh, yeah, you served with my husband in the Marines, again, making air quotes, like there was something of a sexual nature or, or, you know, something like that. But then, as you said, then it started becoming kind of even, I don't want to say creepier, but just that, yep, you're right. That's exactly what happened. But you weren't here. And then. Like you said, once everything fell into place. And that's what I think makes this episode so great. And, and I did run across some article I read somewhere that that one of, it wasn't Den of Geek. I think it was a website IGN uh, considers this one of the, the best episodes of the entire series. And, you know, granted, I haven't seen the rest of the series in quite a while. It doesn't get much better than this for sure. And, and this just, was an extraordinary episode. Yeah, and the way they organically allow things to fall into place, nothing seems forced or pushed here, which, you know, for a show that's got so many pieces moving at this moment, it's it's not always easy to do. So, uh, you know, hats off to the uh, to the fringe writers for sure. Of course, we're wondering all the time what the hell's in the boxes, and I love Loeb's right. response. It's like, you know, you don't have, you know, you're not smart enough to know what they are, so just shut the hell up, and and <laughs> you know, you're not paid to know that, so just whatever. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, obviously, this is not the first time we've seen Dark Mitchell Loeb, but just still, it's it's crazy to think like when we're first introduced to Mitchell. How you know we're we spend a whole episode fearing for his safety, and now we just want someone to shoot him. <laughs> right, exactly. And it, 
might not be that long, especially after we've seen the lengths that David Robert Jones is willing to go. Sure. Um, yeah, it's like it's not a not a guy you really want to work for. Right. But as if all of these mysteries weren't enough, we you know Olivia finds out that all of the safety deposit boxes were purchased 23 years ago. That the person that purchased them is essentially a ghost. Uh, can't come up with a connection. And oh, by the way, the victim that they now have in custody, you know, because they they were able to track down that the one in Providence and she shot the guy in the leg. I was a little surprised that she shot him in the leg and yet they've got him in an interrogation room. I guess it was just a flesh wound, but yeah. <laughs> but oh, by the way, the victim is radioactive. And right. again, it, it leads up to that great scene when Charlie's in there interrogating the guy and basically getting nowhere. And Peter's like, uh, you know, I'm sorry, uh, Charlie's watching Olivia interrogate and she's getting nowhere. Right. And, and Peter says to Charlie, can I have a crack? And Charlie's like, I mean, he's still, I, I think Charlie is still dealing with the fact that Peter is on this team and, and whether Charlie, I, I don't know. Do we know if Charlie's married? I think we do know Charlie's married, I but believe, yeah, I think, know. I think we've gotten that information. Okay. So, so it's, it's, it's not that he sees him as a threat. No, no, but, there's, but, there's not a, but he does see him as somebody that's getting in the way professionally, you know, that, that he had has a professional relationship with Olivia that now isn't as strong as it once was because the bishops are in town. So, so we get that, but Peter goes in there and, you know, he starts talking to the guy and we're like, okay, where's this going? And like, ah, and I love his line to Charlie, you know, I've been in that room on both sides of the table. Yeah. yeah. And, and of course, we know he has how many times. So, yeah. Well, know, yeah, and part of it also is like, okay, so Walter's already said that these guys are radioactive, and yet he's just in the interrogation room all there. Like, no one's like, right. That's what I thought. Wouldn't you have him in, like, I, yeah, I don't know, like maybe just run a Geiger counter over him just to check? I don't know. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, and then the other thing, we're still in the bar uh, with Olivia and Peter. And she's talking about how she can remember numbers, you know, her best friend's phone number in high school and all that. And then he he gets that recognition that three of the, there's something about three of the numbers of the safety deposit box. And then that's where I think for the first time in Fringe, we hear about the Fibonacci numbers or the Fibonacci sequence. Walter realizes the safety deposit boxes are mine. I don't know where or why. But I was under a great deal of stress at the time. And am I misremembering? Does he say something about this was before the accident at the lab that landed him in St. Clair's? Um, I think he did. Well, yes, because he also says uh, it was a stressful time in his life. Right. right? It it was 23 years ago. So it was a time when Peter was young. Right. And right. he's only been in St. Clair's for 17 years. Right. So this was six years before St. Clair. So right, right. Okay. Yes. So what was this stress? And, and, and you know, he, he throws out that little thing about Peter being sick and, you know, get to that a little later. But 
again, you just love Peter's talking to Olivia. Walter doesn't remember. He's not sure, uh, you know, about Providence. And then it's like he has that insight. Walter, if you're going to, you know, get a safety deposit box in (laughs) Providence, what bank would you use? And it was like, oh, I see what you did there, son. (laughs) You know, there were so many moments. And yeah, yeah, that was a great one. Just that look is just like, ah, well played, Peter. You know, kind of like that. Right. And not one of the lines was cheesy. They were they were just so perfectly delivered that, uh, and I there's a lot of great things about Fringe, obviously, and we're ten episodes in, and the the characters are really finding their way, and the writers are finding their way, but you know there is a lot of humor, and it's not just the goofy things that Walter says. So, although he not to get too far off the beaten path, the. Headline I saw on CNN's website today, uh, cross-country cross country skier suffers frozen penis. What? Like, like okay. No, I'm not going to click that story. <laughs> One of the Olympic skiers, I guess it was so cold when they ran his race. Anyway, I'll, I'll leave it there. Wow, that sucks. <laughs> But that that's like so Walter. That's what I, you know, right. yeah, something yeah. he would say. Sure. You know, when Olivia's talking about uh, talking to the prisoner and then, you know, Peter gets in there with him, uh, you know, one of the things that, that Peter says that, uh, that I think we have to consider moving forward, you violated the laws of physics and Mother Nature's a bitch. And, you know, we see that guy's hand shaking, I think, even when he's getting into the van before they go to the last. Well, he and he tries to light a cigarette before as well. He's yeah. unable to because his hands are shaking so much. Right. But, you know, they narrow it down. Um, you know, it's like, oh, it's a field in Westford. It's like it's like 20 square miles. And then Olivia's looking at a map. Little hill, little, little hill, little hill airfields, like which is an abandoned airstrip, and like it's great. And then you know, Olivia gets taken out by one of Jones' guys, target captured. And then, dude, that that scene in the field, I mean, special effects are a part of Fringe, it's not you know, like Star Wars or Battlestar Galactica special effects, but but. It has its moments, and I thought that was pretty cool. Loeb's got his gear set up, and we keep waiting for Olivia, but of course we know she's been abducted, and then, well, is Peter on his way, uh, Charlie on, on the way? We assume, but clearly too late, that vertical light shining in the field, and then boom, Jones appears. And Yeah. Uh, well, and before he's, you know, like he's putting – Eye drops in his eyes and and suntan lotion on his face and stuff. Right, so he's got some sense of what he's about to put his body through. Yep. So, you know how much that's going to help. I mean, is is simple SPF one hundred going to help? Yeah, I guess. Well, well, I mean, you see, as he's waiting to be transported. He's like in the corner of the room and you can see like the anxiety on his face. He's kind of like taking deep breaths and everything. So, you know, this is it's obviously not an everyday occurrence, but, uh, you know, for him, this is like a, a pretty, he's pretty anxious about, about the, doing this thing. But I 
you know, I guess the the risk that is involved with him traveling is worth it compared to staying in prison. Right. And, and I guess the question is, how did Jones know about Walter's work and how did he know about the location of the safety deposit boxes exactly. unless he worked with Walter? So, well, yeah, I, maybe I, we don't. Yeah, like there's so many ways, but it, it, that's just how all the interplay here of Walter and massive dynamic and now David Robert Jones and and the pattern and all these things are interrelated, but we just right now we just can't see it. Right, because on the one hand, it doesn't seem as if Nina is really aware of what's going on with Mitchell Loeb and David Robert Jones. I, well, I mean, so she says. Well, right? so she says. Right, right. So you know w- that remains to be seen. But you know the the other thing that that we didn't talk about is that little scene between Walter and Peter, where um, you know he's got the box of toys, and then he starts you know waxing. Uh, into the past about you nearly died when you were a boy and and uh you know your mother couldn't cope and 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 of course we're aware that that you know the mother committed suicide and peter of course doesn't remember any of it and he starts walter that is starts talking about that doctor you know the only doctor that could cure the condition you had was i forget the guy's name but he died in 1936 so i decided to invent a time travel device bring him back and on the one hand, I don't want to say it didn't phase Peter to hear that, that his father did that, and I'm not sure he would totally put it past his father. Not even in the least. Right. But, you know, there it is. So, uh, yeah. um, you know. We'll, well, we'll, and, and that's that whole thing, it's just, it's crazy because it's just like, you know, like I think just before he was asking Olivia, she's tripping. When Walter starts talking like that, I feel like I am, man, because I'm like, oh my god, this is crazy. He's just saying, uh, uh, you know what? You were a little, you were sick, and uh, so I invented the time machine to so I could find the guy to make you better. Right? Did it work? It's like that is freaking crazy, and it's so funny that at this point, as we're watching the show, we don't even blink. We're like, yeah, okay, I can see that. Right? <laughs> you know? Sure. Sure. All right. Anything else before we get to Fred's feedback? Yeah, I I think I I was watching this and I wrote down at the end of this episode that I'm pretty sure that this is the moment that that Fringe becomes officially awesome. Yeah, no question. Yeah, like at this point, you're just like, wow. Okay, so this this episode just completely and totally killed it. So. You know, this is probably the point where you're like, ah, you know, it's kind of a weird, quirky show, whatever. And then you get this episode. It's just one of those, you know, one of those episodes that completely changes your perception of a show. And while it still is a quirky, kind of goofy show that's kind of out there, I mean, this episode just really nails it. And you're just like, oh, my God, this now, this this series is, is freaking awesome now. All right. Well, why don't we hear what Fred's got for us, and we will be right back. Hello, Dave and Wayne, and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Fringe Season 1, Episode 10. What am I watching? Well, first off, of course, Snowpiercer, which, as Wayne said before, I also like again. 
The story goes on and it's very nice. In detail, I can't say anything because that would be giving spoilers. Really worthwhile watching. And you see partly the hand of Graham Manson, who also is a creator of Orphan Black. Talking about Orphan Black, <laughs> as Fred always is, there is a connection in this episode of Fringe to Orphan Black via James Frayne, who is playing Mr. Cole, the attorney of David Robert Jones. James Frayne plays the magnificent Ferdinand in Orphan Black, a character of which you constantly doubt if he is good or bad. And I'm not even going to say more about that, because there are people on this earth that didn't watch Orphan Black, which ran between 2013 and 2018 in five marvelous seasons of ten episodes. A little nitpick, this Mr. Cole, which is a really German name, speaks with a very nice English accent. In that sense, they did a better job with the warden of the prison in which David Robert Jones is in Germany. Before I forget, I will immediately tell you what grade I gave this. I gave it on IMDb, since a few months I'm also grading on IMDb, and I gave it a 10 out of 10, which is quite rare. So that would be a straight A, I think. Or if you gave A pluses, it is an A plus. Okay, all kinds of sideways in my telling what am I watching. The other thing I'm watching is after the mid-season break, Star Trek Discovery, of course. And I went back to further watching the third season of Sanctuary, which is so nice to watch again and to connect to one of the actors again via Twitter, Argum Darcy, who plays Kate Freelander. And besides, what am I watching? Some adventures here. In the meanwhile, my both sons of 18 and 20... (coughs) (coughs) Sorry, that's not COVID. Uh, But they do have COVID, both. So they are confined to their rooms and we stay away. So far, my wife and I didn't test positive and have no complaints, but... I really doubt it if we can circumvent this. And the second thing I experienced this week was a tremendous storm, code red in a part of the Netherlands, also where I live. And finally, we could give students physical lectures again, live lectures again. And then everything was cancelled, not because of COVID, but now we had a storm. But then, fortunately, we could quite easily switch to online lectures. We had a lot of experience with that. And I imagine when this would have happened, so the storm before March 2020, we would have landed up in big problems. We have to cancel all the lectures. And we have a quite full curriculum, so replanning is not that easy. In the Netherlands, all trains were cancelled. All subways in my city were cancelled. You would say, what has the subway to do with the storm? But most of these lines partially are running above ground as well. So the students couldn't come to the university or when they could, they wouldn't be able to get home again. So COVID does have some (laughs) quite rare advantages that we all learned how to reorganize things like this. Took me a whole evening to reorganize nevertheless, but we did it. Okay, going into this marvelous episode of Fringe. The scene in the hardware store is, of course, so good in the beginning of the episode. What are you cutting? Wood? No, human flesh and bone. 
And then we get the scene where Olivia is visiting Susan and she discovers that you cannot discriminate between John Scott's thoughts and her own. She really thought she had been there. I really wonder if that makes the urge to get rid of his thoughts even more urgent for her. And I wonder if this is a sign of a further deterioration or something like that. Does her whole condition get worse? I found the trick of Walter on the vibrating football field and with rice, etc. And the action figure, <laughs> really nice. And another nice thing was how Olivia got the information from the bartender and introducing Peter as her brother, because that works better. Also very funny was, of course, when Walter asks um, Astrid if she wants to see the rights demonstration again, and she just says, no. I think Nina Sharp is really amazed that Olivia is abducted. What do you think? I think she doesn't know anything about all the activities of Michael Loeb and David Robert Jones. And I also wonder why he wants to have her. It's clear that Nina Sharp needs Olivia because she has a piece of John Scott's missing brain. But why needs Jones Olivia? The machine Walter constructed to go back to 1936, so for time traveling, it can also be used, as seen here in this episode, for traveling all over the world, obviously. And I really wonder if the machine, which obviously works, also will be used in the future for time traveling. I hope I don't have to break my strain of 205 feedbacks in a row the next time, because I have a terrible COVID. Okay, that will be all for this time. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. All right, uh, Fred, as we mentioned during the course of the discussion, we all knew we knew that lawyer from somewhere, just didn't look it up. So, uh, you know, that's cool. But how how does a, a genre television fan not check out Orphan Black? I, I mean, I, I just don't understand it. And, and Fred, I'm with you. It's, it's just hard to believe that, you know. Yeah because it is available and it just it explores areas of science fiction that you know are not so far-fetched and you know whether you you, you know you kind of connect it to shows that deal with artificial intelligence like humans i mean it's different but but a lot of the same ideas are explored in that show so yeah we won't berate that uh uh, Fred mentioned Sanctuary, doing a, a watch of Sanctuary. And, and yeah, Fred, I too love Kate Freelander. But sorry to hear about the COVID uh, mini outbreak yeah. in your home with uh, oh, it's your crazy. sons. And, yeah. yeah and, it uh, sucks. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I, I guess the one thing we, we have learned in all of this is that as teachers, there are ways to – still continue teaching even if we can't do it in person although we're you know we're slowly getting back to that in some form or another and then fred yeah it's so funny though how much the like the the online meeting has become a thing yeah sure you know that it might actually be replacing in-person meetings in a lot of ways even after we're through all this, not all this stuff. Yeah. Well, they're way more efficient. There's no question about that. Right. And, and, and in terms of valuing people's time and, and 
getting across necessary information. And as you and I both know, a lot of that would would not even be necessary if people would just read their damn emails in a timely fashion. <laughs> but I don't want to go on a rant. Um, right. But, you, you know, uh, Fred, the, the one thing that Wayne and I both agree on, because, you know, we understand, is like Fred's almost like – uh, accepting that he's going to get COVID at some point and, you know, his streak of providing feedback for us may be in jeopardy. Fred, even a 10 second feedback keeps your streak yeah. alive. And Right. And you just got to keep it alive, bro. Does written feedback keep the streak alive? I would say yes. I, I will allow it. Yeah. Feedback is feedback. Yeah. So... All right. Anyway, um, I'm going full on A. I, 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 I'm a little reluctant to go A plus, but it wouldn't be out of the question. I'm doing it, Dave. A plus. I'm giving it the. I'm giving it the A plus. Okay. Well, I'm a. Pro it was such it. an amazing. Like this is. It was one of those episodes at the end. You just like. You just know it at the end. Like I'm just like holy cow. Yep. That was freaking awesome. Yep. And and Fred of course gave it a ten as well. Ten out of ten. So. Uh, All right. All right, A-plus for both of us, I think, actually. All three of us, Fred, gives it as well. All right, well, why don't we get to the spoiler zone? And as we say each week, if you have not seen the entire series of Fringe, you better stop listening now because you might hear some things that you'd rather not have revealed at this point. I mean, I don't want to say we necessarily— Let's start with the toys. Yeah, what about them? I mean— Well, he says, these were your toys. Up here, he goes, those aren't mine. Yeah, and then, then Walter does say, "Oh, I think they're mine." But that's not the first time they've done that, where Walter said, "Oh, this is something from when you were a boy." He was like, "Nope." Right, and you then know. it goes back to I think I might have mentioned last week or or the week before. Does Walter, you know, remember that this is not his Peter? And I, don't, I think I'm not so sure he does. Yeah, I, I I don't know that it's clear, but it's it's and and again, I I like that that it's in that gray area at this point, because on the one hand, you might say, well, yeah, once Peter says no, they're not mine, Walter pretty seamlessly deflects it to, oh yeah, I guess they're mine then, which we know they're not his. Yeah, I mean, well, do we? Well, okay, they're not <laughs> toys that would have been available when he was a child. That doesn't mean right. as an adult he didn't buy toys. Because you know, I I have heard that there are some adults that buy these Lego things that you can put together, and you know, they make different. You know, yeah, it's probably just very very immature adults who right, do that, though. Right. But uh, <laughs> but but yeah, that's a pretty big deal, and, and we have to start to wonder. Well, when is peter going to pursue this line of inquiry that though they're not mine and maybe look through no no not mine not mine well where'd you get these walter yeah right yeah exactly well yeah at some point you think it might hit here like you know walter keeps telling me stuff is mine from when i was a kid but it's not but of course like for peter he might think well, maybe I don't remember. Or Walter is definitely, you know, a, l- a little flighty, we could say, in, in nice terms. So that that could explain, you know, a lot of the stuff that, that Walter thinks. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, well, this is definitely a recurring theme that we see with Walter pointing out things from Pierre's youth. And Pierre's saying, nah, that's, that's not mine, man. 
Right. And, you know, when he tells Peter that, you you know, you nearly died as a child, well, we, we understand that, no, this Peter did not nearly die as a child. But Walter's son, Peter, right. did die as a child. And, and, yes. and to try to save him, you know, I, I forget what the disease, I, I think I did read that it was a made up disease for the show that there is no, I think they called it Hepia, H-E-P-E-A. Yeah. Um, and and, th- and that's just kind of made up for the show. But but, you know, it did, you know, prompt Walter to try to invent a time machine to go back and, and you know, get this doctor to come and save his son. And again, well, this is one of those- because there, there's just like so many parts of the story that are just completely missing. Just like, well, you were you were dying. So I, I tried to make a time machine and then you got better. And so I stopped. Right. It's just right. like, mm. Yeah, I mean, Peter, you're not curious at all, uh, you know. No. Yeah. So, well, and, and well, from what we know that happened, you know, like he, in in fact, invented a machine that could not go through time, but could punch through worlds, and that he discovered another dimension and another Peter, and that his Peter didn't get better. His Peter died, and then he went and grabbed this peter from the other world and brought him back here so it's like he just and again if we're watching this for the first time we have no idea of any of this at all but as we're watching it now knowing what happens later i'm still questioning dude does he actually is he just trying to dodge and trying to avoid thinking about something that he's done that he knows was a terrible thing that he did or does he actually not remember? Yeah, because I'm sort of siding with you in that he doesn't remember because what would be the point of bringing it up to Peter? Um, right. He, yeah, exactly. Th- Why, right. Right. I mean, Sorry, is now ahead. a a good time to have this conversation with his son that, oh, yeah, by the way, you're not actually yeah. my son. I kidnapped you from another dimension. And that kind of goes back to, and I, I think we find this out, but I don't remember that while the time machine, time machine doesn't work as a time machine, it does, as you point out, work as a device that allows entrance into a parallel universe. And, you know, the whole multiverse theory is proven. And, you know, whether or not there's a third um, which we don't necessarily see in, in Fringe, but you know we have seen in other shows. God, what was the show we did the pilot for? Uh, Charlie Charlie Jade, where there are yeah. three parallel universes that you know we are presented with. But uh, yeah, so you know we'll see if he, Walter keeps dropping these tidbits and and whether or not Peter pursues you know what it is his father's telling him. So far, no, which little surprising you know peter's not shy so well yeah and and that's the other thing like he says it was 23 years ago so you know i mean we imagine that peter is probably his early 30s i would say seems like um you know it doesn't seem to be definitely not in his 40s right so right i think we heard olivia is like 28 i think Okay. 
So even going with that, you know, 23 years ago, then that was when Peter was a boy and like would say, oh, if this very stressful time in his life, was your life stressful then, Walter, because maybe you took a child from another universe and kidnapped him and brought him here to raise as your own? Maybe, was that the stress, Walter? Because the numbers seem to like kind of add up to that a little bit. Right. And, you know, again, we don't want to be too harsh on Walter. I mean, he, not only is he dealing with the stress of his son dying and, and, and eventually actually, you know, dying, but ha- having to also cope with his wife's grief surrounding that. Sure. And then, as you just imply, then the guilt associated with kidnapping someone else's son to try to assuage you know, I mean, I think he really did it to a large extent for his wife, even though that doesn't excuse it at all. But yeah, uh, no, not not even a little bit. But but again, you're right. It, 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 the more we get to know Walter, um, e- even though what he did was horrific and had ends up having consequences, really uh, long-reaching consequences. Yeah, we find it hard to, to judge him later for sure. Yeah. So, all right. Anything else you want to throw out in the spoiler zone? I think that's probably about it. Okay. All right. Um, great episode. Like you said, it, it, you know, at this point, the show's turned a corner. And if you are thinking about hopping off the train, I don't know what's wrong with you. <laughs> you don't know, do it. Don't, don't do, do it. it. Yeah. Trust us. Trust Uncle Dave and Uncle Wayne. Stay on the train. <laughs> So anyway, no, right, maybe well, Uncle Dave and Cousin Wayne, maybe. But. There we go. Okay. Uh, that'll <laughs> do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Fringe. Anything else going on in your genre TV world? Join the Facebook group if you haven't already. Emails can go to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. We'll be back next week to talk about Season 1, Episode 11 of Fringe. But until then. So, you know, the other day... Dave, I was in Baltimore. I remember a woman, particularly large breasts.